Football season will be here quicker than you think. When planning your football trips, we know that one of the biggest pains is arranging your pregame tailgate party. This season, let gridirontailgates.com take care of all of your tailgating needs. They provide everything for your large private party, including a private party tent, tables, satellite TV, catering, a personal bartender, and setup and takedown. Visit gridirontailgates.com and enter promo code PAC12, P-A-C-1-2, to receive 10% off your group's next tailgate or call 303-359-5328. Gridirontailgates.com are here to make your tailgate experience easy, affordable, and enjoyable. Again, that phone number is 303-359-5328. Gridirontailgates.com. Enter code PAC12. Now available in more homes than the PAC12 network, we are the podcast of champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack. And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the podcast of champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we are the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football with a little basketball mixed in. But for the most part, Pac-12 football, if you want to email us, send us a question. What's on your mind? Talk about some Pac-12 football. You can do that. Pac-12podcast at gmail.com. If you'd rather tweet at us, we got a lot of the Twitter action going lately. Tweet us. You can follow us at Pac-12podcast. You'd like to leave a voicemail? You can do that too. We have a new voicemail line. that I don't even know if we have set it up yet, Dave. Uh, Google I Voice. I think I set it up. We'll see. All hey, right. if you call it and you can't get through, email us and let us know. <laughs> We have a Google Voice site, so there's no extension anymore. You can send us a text. That seems very dangerous. Uh, Don't expect a response back right away, but you can send us a text. Uh, The number, this is a new number. First time we're saying on the air, 424-532-0678. That's 424-532-0678. You can send a text. You can leave a voicemail. And we will hopefully get it and play it on the air or read it on the air. And if you want to find any of our old episodes and our contact information, and I think I put that up there already, uh, pack12podcast.com. You can see all of our old episodes, uh, any of our commentary and uh, and our contact information. Always go to pack12podcast.com and you can find it there. Dave, bravo to you uh, for, for, hold on. For uh, for setting that up, you 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 did something. I'm I'm very proud of you. <laughs> it occurs to me that I actually did the absolute bare minimum that I would have needed to do to set up a Google Voice line. There is absolutely no voicemail message, none, <laughs> none. When people call it, I'm thinking it's going to ring like my parents' phone at home, and it's just going to ring incessantly until it just goes to an automated message that says "leave a message after the beep." Nice. Uh, well, so I'm excited cool. for everyone who calls it. You yeah. should try. And uh, it's definitely sent a text, you know. 
Uh, I'm not saying we're going to be in like some text conversations with you at some point, um, but you know, maybe, I don't know. We have to, I got to set this up. We'll have to set it up on our phones, Dave, so we can like get instant access when someone calls or texts us. I mean, I don't want to tell people that it, it currently is set to go to my phone, but it's, I mean, it's currently set to just go to my phone. So Ooh, um, I think I'll call it. Yeah. Maybe that'll be, yeah. I, I can never get a hold of you anyway. Maybe that'll be a good way to get a hold of you. <laughs> if you just call a different number instead of my actual number, I'll pick up. Yeah. You like just ignore my calls or you have me blocked or I don't know what it is. But if I do the Google voice, you know, voice line, maybe that'll work. All I'm right. sort of intrigued about this. I wonder if it's going to come in like categorized a certain way or if I'm going to pick up some random 310 number thinking it's my parents and then it's just some random joker <laughs> off the street. <laughs> hey, this is Billy in Westwood. Uh, Dave, I was thinking, <laughs> what did you feel about Jim Moore's comment? About, okay. Um <laughs> That'd be awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be great. I'm really excited about this new uh, endeavor. So, I what do we got on? What, what do we have in store for the the peeps today, Dave? Oh, we've got so much, and by so much, I mean actually probably a little bit lighter of a show than we've been used to recently. Uh, we've got to talk some Herm Edwards, as always, as as pretty much we always do. Um, and then we've got a bunch of questions to answer. I know we talked about potentially doing a little bit of a draft of the different Pac-12 teams, but um, we're a little crunched for time today, and also that project seems um, a little unmanageable at the moment. So we might try to get to that in the coming weeks. But for now, we got to talk some Herm, man. Yeah, and we did just to let people know on the draft. We Dave and I both did prepare, so it's not like we were coming in blind. So it was basically going to be a draft of the best college football players of the BCS era, well, you know, from 2000 on. So essentially, the BCS era. We had to pick a player from each school on offense and defense and create our team. So we, we both have a pretty good idea. We might just do that offline and then put it up on the yeah. website. Cause like going through the names and picking, I don't know how interesting that would be for all of you. Yeah. Or we, us. we rethought it and we thought it might be a, uh, a real drain on interest. So, you know, we might do something where we'll in, like say our teams, and then you guys can decide which one would win a very hypothetical and very stupid football contest. <laughs> That, that's a contest I think we'd both want to win. You know, you want to pick them out. And there's strategy, too. Like, you know, how many offensive linemen do you know You know that were great from Oregon State? You know, you got to, like, look through that. And oh, you know, yeah. There's all kinds of stuff. It's like you can't just pick, like, the best. Like, if the best player of every school is, like, a running back, like, well, you, you still need some receivers. You need, you know. <laughs> this made my day so stupid. Yeah. I was, I mean, and, and my days are not usually, like, among the smartest, like, things in the world. But. I was at 11 a.m. today just looking at, like, 2002 Oregon State rosters, and I was just like, <laughs> what am I doing with my life that this is, like, something like, oh, wow, I've really got to do this. This is on my checklist of things to do today is to look at the roster for the Beavers in 2002. It's funny. The the Beavers, though, had some guys. Like, they're, maybe not the teams have been successful, but there's definitely been some dudes. Um, oh, Arizona yeah. State got a lot of guys. Like, if you want to, like, high-end – Guys, there's some schools that maybe haven't performed as well, you know, record-wise, but they they produce a bunch of like guys that you remember. Yeah, absolutely. So that'll be fun. We'll 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 try to do that offline one of these days, and then post our full teams on the website and go over them quickly on here. But uh, nobody nobody wants to watch or listen to somebody else's fantasy draft. Essentially, nobody wants that in no. life. We can we can release the order of where we picked them in, so you can tell us we're stupid that we didn't pick this guy or whatever. Like that's great. We we want you to be able to ridicule us, but 
maybe, you know, we'll just post it on the website and you can look at it and say, man, where's this guy? Can, can you believe no one picked this guy and blah, blah, blah. We got to talk about Herman. All yes. right. We've, we've, we've taken too much time talking about fantasy. Now let's talk about real stuff. Um, <laughs> it is kind of fantasy. <laughs> it's crazy. So this is the second week in a row that we've talked about Arizona stuff as our lead block. Last week, it was the University of Arizona. I think it was last week. Wasn't that last week? Talking about media stuff? Yeah, I Maybe. believe it was. It might have been two weeks ago, but yeah. Time time is merely a construct. Uh, Arizona State this week. So don't don't you ever say that we're an LA-centric podcast. Um, we are. Uh, Herm Edwards. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so this week, um, Herm, after practice uh, one day, talked essentially about um, his philosophy of roster management. And I do want to stipulate up front, this is the philosophy of roster management that I have seen every coach at any college adopt. Like, they do this. They cut players and they do the whole thing. But they never say it. And Herm Edwards, after practice this week, said essentially, you know, if guys aren't dedicated, if guys aren't showing the level of commitment, if guys aren't, um, you know, Essentially, if they aren't getting out of the trainer's room quickly enough, uh, we're going to – I think he said cut them, but he doesn't mean we're going to strip them of their scholarship. But essentially, we're going to cut them from the team. They're not going to be on the team anymore. Um, How do you think that one's going to go over? (laughs) Well, it was funny to see the Twitter reaction. And he he went into – he also talked about the injured players um, where there's guys in the training room. If you're in the training room, he can't see film on you. And if he can't see film on you, how's he going to evaluate you? When he brings that up, he said, no, suddenly these guys are out of the training room. Funny how that works. So he was basically calling out his own players for not really, you know, for not being injured or being hurt or whatever. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting too. But the instant reaction from most everyone is, and if you know anything about college football, and if you're listening to this, you likely do, that's a recruiting tool that's not going to help you. That's that's something every one of your opponents in the conference and across the country, if you come in and you just took an official visit to Arizona State, the coach, all the coaches say is like, well, I hope you get in the two deep right away. Otherwise, he could cut you. Um, that's not a good look. And that's not something that parents are going to want to hear. That's not something that the, the players are going to want to hear. I could go to Arizona State and get cut. Um, yeah. That, so, yes, no, I don't think that's going to go over well. I am assuming there's going to be some sort of backtracking at some point. But initial reaction is just like one of the coolest things I ever heard. And, and it's it's amazing. I put tweeted out, this is amazeballs. Like, this is the coolest thing ever. I thought he was going to fail, like, nine, you know, fall on his face 90%. I'm up to 96% now from after him saying Yeah, because this. This, this, this is going – I can't see a way it helps recruiting and it feels like it's going to hurt it. And that was the one area where you might've thought, Oh, maybe Herm could be at a competitive advantage there. Cause he's got some gravitas and he's got that ability to really, really talk and talk somebody's ear off and, and, you know, be a charmer. Um, but if you're saying stuff like this, it allows, it's not even, I mean, again, and I, I do want to hit this point hard. Every school does this when you hear about and it happens during the recruiting process. It happens after the recruiting process. When you hear about guys, oh, they're going to be X number of scholarships over heading into spring ball. And then miraculously, that number of guys are no longer on the team entering spring ball. Those guys were encouraged to leave, which is essentially the college version of cutting. Um, And it'll happen during the recruiting process where um, you'll have 
guys who you take their scholarship in June or you take their, their commitment in June and then you decide in November after you've had a pretty good season that you can get some better players and suddenly they're going to University of Hawaii or whatever. Um, this this stuff happens, but it's not talked about and it's right. not something where other coaches now, 11 other Pac-12 coaches, when they're <laughs> recruiting against ASU, they can say, oh, well, you know, Herm Edwards, if if you don't pan out, hey, if you get hurt, you know, if you if you get a lingering ankle sprain, which is something so many of these guys have had throughout their athletic careers, uh, he might cut you because, you know, there's there's no no inherent loyalty there. Um, and that's a, I, that's something that I can I can say, like, right off the bat. And I'm sure these guys who are well versed at negative recruiting can think of even a better way to say it. But it's it can't be good for the recruiting. It just cannot be. No, and I and I think we should probably clarify a little. Like what Dave is saying is 100% true. This happens, um, but that's one of the big difference between the NFL and college. It's like things happen in a different way. Where um, what what are some of the things a coach can do? I mean, we've seen guys medically retire, you know, and yeah. that could be for an injury, but maybe there wasn't an injury. USC had a couple offensive linemen just retire, you know, and. These were guys that just didn't look like they were getting on the field. There's a they had 17 bodies on the offensive line. Um, were they encouraged? What you know, it, there was stuff going on behind the scenes where I, I think this is something that coaches kind of don't ever. They're not calling out the kid. Just like if a kid decommits from a school, say, you know, Washington picks up a commitment from a three-star guy early in the process. Well, they get some better guys along the way. You realize that this guy's not going to pan out. Chris Peterson and his staff just don't call him as much or or ever anymore. And you or they get... have, and this will happen too, where they have a frank conversation, and maybe not so much in the recruiting process, but when they're at school. And I don't think this is necessarily even a bad thing, where they say, "Hey, um, just so you know, you're probably not ever going to play. Yeah, and I know you want to play, but." Looking at the depth chart, I want to be real with you, and I want to tell you exactly what the score is. You're probably not ever going to play. I'll help you find a spot if you want to go play somewhere, but as of right now, you can't do it. And that happens a ton, too, and that's the good way this process goes. That's the way it should go. Um, it's just saying it. You know, right. It's just saying it's it's making the reality of it known to guys who all think that they're going to be pro in three or four years. And, and I, nobody wants to hear this. No. And I think one of the things that you see sometimes too, like say a, say a coach recruits a guy, you get him in. He's not what you thought, you know, mm -hmm. you would normally, you don't redshirt him. You, he plays some special teams. He does something. You don't like sometimes coaches will not even want to burn a red shirt because they want to give they want to either yeah. get him out quicker or give him an opportunity where he could red shirt and transfer and go somewhere else. So there's all these little games that kind of coaches can play. But like Dave said, you never come and say you're getting cut <laughs> like or we're we're or, or announce to people, hey, we cut a couple of players because they just weren't this guy was hurt too often. He just he didn't really care, you know, and um, and the fact that Herm would come out and talk about, do you know how many people actually play? Um, to compare a college roster to a NFL roster, 85 scholarship players plus, you know, walk-ons with, you know, a 53-man roster, it just doesn't make any sense because someone gets hurt on the 53-man roster, you just sign another one. You know, there's, you could always be at 53. In college, you, you can never replace guys, you know? So right. it's a pretty big difference uh, between the two. And I'm not sure, I, mean, Her I think Herman is a pretty smart guy, but I'm just not sure he understands that right now.
Well, and so I, I, I do, and I want to, I want to be as charitable as possible here because we're thinking of it because we are largely, our backgrounds are in kind of the recruiting angle and following these guys as a young guy. There is a, there is almost without a doubt a positive result from this. It's going to be a motivating force for everyone who is currently on the team. Like, I think, I don't think there's any question about that when the coach is essentially saying, Hey man, you might not be on the team. I think that's going to get these guys to practice hard and prepare hard and, and probably give them a pretty good off season. It's just, this is the kind of stuff that lingers in recruiting yes. and that's the lifeblood of a program. Um, so that's an issue. And then I, I find it a little disquieting what he's talking about with the training room. And yeah, there are guys who are lingering in the training room because, you know, maybe they don't want to play in there or maybe they're, you know, just not the, the super toughest of the of the guys. But there's also guys who have real injuries. And then if you start making these sorts of threats, essentially saying, hey, if you're in the training room, I can't I can't evaluate you. And then, you know, and I'm telling you that I'm going to cut guys. They might go out there with actual real injuries. Um, and that's not cool. That's especially and it kind of flies in the face of, um, I don't know, so much of uh, what we've learned about. I mean, a lot of the times, like the old school football mentality is, especially with guys who have concussions, because you can't see the injury um, that, oh, well, that's, you know, just, you know, kind of shake it off and get out there. And I just it, 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 it it's a little too similar to that mentality for me. It just kind of rubs me a little bit wrong. Yeah, you don't want to encourage injured players. If you're hurt and you can, you know, rub some dirt on and get out there, fine. But if you have an injury and you're feeling like, I'm you know, I'm like third string you know, outside linebacker, I need to get out there and you shouldn't be like, no, that's not what you want to encourage. And I think, you know, he made it clear in his video or, you know, in the, in the interview that it's not like these players are losing scholarships. So maybe we want to talk about, and I don't know how much you know about the rule, give your thoughts, but um, like if you medically retire uh, from football, you can stay in school and you'll still be on scholarship, but you don't count towards that 85 limit. And so, you can kind of clean this stuff up in the spring because it's basically, I forget when it tra transitions over exactly because it's a headcount sport. You count for a whole year and it's like late summer, like right before fall camp, I believe is like the cutoff. So if you're, if you're at fall camp and participating and you're on scholarship and you leave like the next week, you count for the whole year. So you're part of the team. Uh, you're, you're, you know, you can't replace you. You're going to be one of, you know, they call you a counter. You're still on that part of the 85. Anyone that Herm gets rid of like this spring um, wouldn't count towards the 85 for the for 2018 season. So you could get rid of some guys now and they wouldn't count. The The rule that Chris Cartman tweeted out, which I wasn't really aware of, is if there's a coaching change, a player could leave and still or, or leave the team, remain in school and continue his scholarship and it wouldn't count for the football team. So if Her or Herm could kick a guy out, and he could still stay in school, uh, get his you know get his degree for free, and it wouldn't count for the scholarship. That's with a coaching transition. If someone you know retires medically and stuff like that, same sort of thing. You can stay on scholarship, but not count against the number for the team. So I don't know if you're aware of that rule or if you know any of the nuances of it, Dave. I don't know the nuances. I'm I'm looking at it, um, and if you ever want to go check out any of this stuff, uh, SunDevilSource.com. Uh, it's at SunDevilSource on Twitter. Um, tweeted out the rule. Um, I, it's hard. Uh, so it's such a weird rule. I don't know that I've ever seen it exercised. 
I can't remember if it happened when Jim Mora took over at UCLA. It hasn't yet happened with Chip Kelly taking over at UCLA. Um, it seems like it's because it, it's a, it's a weird situation, right? Like it's guys who don't like this seems like it would be more applicable to um, other sports because anybody who's not eligible, anybody who's not going to medically retire, right? Who's not hurt they're probably going to want to go play someplace else, right? Right. I mean, unless they really just don't like football. They got into football and they're like, I don't like it anymore. So it, it doesn't seem like it necessarily makes a whole lot of sense for football. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, that's certainly a, an avenue they could use. I just would imagine what the, the form it would take would be transfers. It wouldn't yeah. be um, guys just deciding to be ASU students with their scholarships. I mean, Unless ASU really has recruited a bunch of guys who really, really don't like football, um, which just doesn't seem right at a Power 5 school. You know, you might get that at the lower level, but it doesn't seem like that's likely at ASU. So I don't know how much use that would be, but that's certainly a rule that you could point to as, as something that backs up what Herm's saying. But uh, regardless, I mean, my, my main angle on it is it's just it's it can't do anything good for recruiting. No part of this does anything good for recruiting from the talking about cutting guys to also bringing up the fact that 45 guys play in a football game. I mean, yeah, most of these guys think they're going to start as true freshmen, but you know, when they're thinking about it, they're like, Oh, only 45 guys. And they've got X number of seniors and juniors and that sort of thing. Like if that's his philosophy, that's great. But it's, again, it's not something that you need to say. It's just, these aren't things that need to be out in the public sphere. Um, Because you want to pitch to every one of these freshmen that have a chance to make the field. And if they're, you know, if there are 25 guys in that class and you know there are, you know, X number of upperclassmen who've all played a bunch before, well, how much playing time is there really going to be for you? Um, so it's just, it's honest. All of this is very honest. It's all very um, above board and you can admire the integrity of the man, but um, it's maybe not the smartest move. Yeah, and I think, you know, not really even have been aware of this rule I think this rule is protecting, not that he's protecting Herm Edwards, but allows Herm Edwards to really do this. He could cut people right now. But I think next year, technically, can he just, like, he would have to do it the behind-the-scenes way, I believe, where yeah, not just saying. Yeah, there's no way. They, I mean, they, couldn't, they couldn't use this rule because this rule is strictly for after the departure of the head coach who recruited the players. Yeah, so I think – what, I don't think he could really even do this down the road. Like, hey, I'm cutting you. It's like, well, you can't, you can't really do that. Um, I mean, these are four-year scholarships now. It's usually a like what Dave was saying behind the scenes. You're like, look, man, you're never going to play. And like he said, it's usually followed by a transfer. Like, you want to go play somewhere else. Um, you know, if we've seen guys that just, you know, if they medically retire or they just realize like this is not for me. Staying at the same school makes a lot of sense, and you want to still have that scholarship, and and usually that that can all work out. But if it's a, a really where the head coach is making the decision, like two years down the road, I just don't think he can do that. We'll have to try to get some clarification on that too. But I don't see any reason if if he comes out a year from now and says this guy, the backup fullback, has just been you know he's lazy, he doesn't want to work. I'm cutting him. Um, I don't think he could technically do that. He can now. I just don't think he can then. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, uh, he can. I, I think he can probably publicly say I'm encouraging him to transfer because he's not very good and yeah. badmouth him publicly. But <laughs> I just don't. I don't know what the efficacy of that is versus just a private conversation. I think 
I, I think there was a way to send this message. I mean, he sent it to the players, and then I think he can say publicly, you know, we're going to be accountable here. And if guys aren't, you know, going to be accountable, then, you know, maybe they need to find a new place to play. Right. Yeah. Like putting putting the agency on the player's side because um, you're conveying the same message, but it's conveyed in the way that like, OK, this is a, you know, <laughs> a motivator, you know, that sort of thing. The, the cutting mentality is where it's just kind of, ooh, right. Not the it's just it's it's so um, it, it's just so outside the normal discourse with college football that it just allows for it to be something that's a negative recruiting opportunity. And I think, obviously, I don't think that came to mind. Is this Was this something that was prepared and discussed, or did this just, like, did it come to his mind and he just started talking about it and then realized, you know, then people tell him later, like, hey, Hermsey, the reason we wouldn't say that is because of this. I'm not sure, but I think the the, mo- the mo- his motivation behind it was, like you mentioned, a motivation factor for the team. You know, he's trying to get these guys – uh, motivated. If he does feel there's too many dudes in the training room, uh, they're being soft. This was his idea to light a fire under those guys and maybe just didn't realize some of the consequences that, you know, there are big differences between college and, and the NFL and some things that you can use as a motivating factor in the NFL, you can't really use in college. And there's certain terms you can't use. And there's certain things that are just done behind the scenes. I'd love to kind of know and hear, you know, be a fly on the wall, with the meeting that they had afterwards, because I'm sure there was a meeting after this where like this caused a firestorm. Where did this come from? And was it Herm off the cuff? Was it, maybe this was the plan. Like this is part of the, we're doing things a different way. No one's used to this. This is how we're going to do it. You know? So I don't know. My guess is it was just an off the cuff remark. That's probably coming back to bite him a little bit. Yeah. I, I got that sense too. I didn't think it was necessarily the, 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 I'm sure he conveyed something like this to the players and that wouldn't even strike me as weird. Like that seems like something that a lot of coaches are going to convey to the team, especially when they take over, like, you know, we're going to do things differently. And if you don't like it, you know, get out of here, that whole deal. I completely get that. It's the then conveying it publicly that just, I don't know what the strategic reason for that is. So that's the part that struck me as like, okay, maybe this wasn't perfectly thought out on their part. But Herb, we got to give him credit having uh, a lot of access to the practice and openness and everything. So nice job yeah. there. Um, we actually, there was an email, like an internal email for us at 24-7 for the Pac-12 folks and uh, reading, th- I don't know if you got to read through some of them, Dave, but the, we, everyone was kind of talking about the access of the program that you cover. Right. And uh, yeah, it seemed like there was a lot of openness. Really like um, what we were seeing in Arizona was, was sort of the outlier. Uh, most of the other ones seemed like there's been more access this this season than than other times, and maybe some of it's the new coaches, but it does seem like it's it's pretty good as far as access goes. Yeah, UCLA has been uh, much better than anybody probably would have predicted. Um, Chip Kelly being a somewhat secretive coach in the last couple of years, under Mora being very secretive, but UCLA has been fairly open. I think Oregon's still pretty closed, right? Uh, I don't remember reading that one, so that that pro- yeah. that's probably true, though. Yeah. Yeah, but I think uh, I think a lot of the other programs. I mean, USC is pretty open. ASU is now pretty open. So there's a, you know, hopefully, hopefully get a little bit more information from all these schools. Um, any more Herm stuff, or should we jump into some 
question. Uh, I, I think I think I'm all set on beating up Herm for today. Yeah. I, honestly, like, and I I want to be as fair as possible here. Yes. It was a it, it's a motivating thing, and he. I don't think there's anything wrong except for the training room stuff that kind of bothers me, but I don't think there's anything wrong with anything he said to the team. Like, I think that can be all motivated. It, it's more the, like, that's really, I, I really think that's going to hurt in recruiting. It's just, that's the part where I don't know that this was a well thought out decision. I think he's getting beat up a little bit too much. I think some people kind of misread the whole thing and said they were going to pull scholarships was, which he made, you know, he took great pains not to say that right. he said, we're going to cut the players, but their scholarships are still good. We're not taking their scholarships away. Um, but it's just don't introduce that kind of confusion. And that might just be him being new to college football. He doesn't really think about recruiting 24-7 the way us here at 24-7 do. See what I did there? <laughs> did you like it? I That's like good. it, Dave. Nice. Um, and so maybe there's some of that there. But, you know, this is the kind of. This is the kind of mistake you end up with when uh, a mistake that ends up happening when you hire a guy who's never really been a college head coach before. Yeah, and I, like I like I was saying the last few episodes, it's like everyone was beating him up so much that I was like like you know hoping it it, it was wrong and he just ends up doing well. This one kind of put me over the edge. I'm like, nope, it's not going to go well. <laughs> it's yeah, <just> not- <laughs> yeah, I, I've been there, so I can I can afford to be charitable, but uh, yeah. Not good. Not good. Well, we had, okay, so just kind of cleaning up some of the basketball stuff. Like, I can't believe as much basketball as we talked. Our buddy Klain uh, tweeted us, and he said, how much resource money do teams like Villanova and Gonzaga put into their basketball programs compared to the Pac-12? Money isn't everything, or is it? Now back to football. And I think I tweeted him, like, well, neither of those teams have uh, an FBS football program to go along with it. And he said, is, is, is it as simple as that? But the schools are so much smaller. I don't, do you have any thoughts on, you know, a Gonzaga or a Villanova having that kind of success? And do they put as much money into their basketball programs as maybe like a Washington state does? Well, I mean, certainly as a percentage of their budget, I'm sure they put a lot more into their basketball programs. Um, Villanova's, I will say this Villanova's FCS program in football is actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, they they got just, rid of their football program whatsoever, and then they brought it back as an FBS team. Yeah, they've or been FCS, they were FCS, sorry. Yeah, and they've been okay. Um, so, um, I, I so I think yeah, I think they probably invest more in basketball. I don't know if the actual dollar figure is more than what Pac-12 schools are investing. Um, I don't think Jay Wright is actually all that well paid. Um, let me pull up his salary. Yeah, he's making two point four three million, which is um, middle of the pack to I think kind of lowish end for high majors these days. Um, I know UCLA and Steve Alford are still at two point six. Um, yeah, I mean it's barely in the top twenty five. Um, so, and that's Villanova. That's you know the school that's now won two natties in I think three years. Um, and Gonzaga is. Uh, yeah, Mark Few's making under two million. So I would have to imagine their investment in the program is probably less than what it is at um, your average Pac-12 school. Um, it's just uh, they do a lot more with their money than I think a lot of the Pac-12 schools have been doing. Yeah, and I mean some of it's longevity. I mean Mark Few's been there forever. Jay Wright's now been at Villanova more or less forever. So I'm sure they're you know taking a little bit of discount because they like their situations, but. Yeah, I think you know, like you're talking about you with with 
you know, football being such a big part of everyone's athletic budget, I think that's where uh, the disconnect could be. You don't have this huge expense, but you're not bringing in that kind of money. And, you know, a, a program like Villanova will bring in a bunch of money for the basketball program, which it's a much cheaper program to run. So I think it's easier to do that in hoops uh, than in, in football. If you're a small football school, uh, it's a lot harder, If you're especially if you don't have the kind of cash. I think it's a lot harder to run and try to compete with Alabama where Villanova can compete with Duke, uh, I think a lot easier in basketball. Yeah, yeah, it's fewer players. And, you know, th- there's a lot that goes into it beyond, um, you know, it's it's uh, so much of it can just be the coach and what, you know, nucleus of players you have that year. I don't know. Like with football, you there's so many things you can spend your money on, and I just don't know if that's there in basketball as much. And one thing I would say about the distinction uh, with Villanova and Gonzaga is I think Villanova probably invests quite a bit more. The Big East um, media contract is probably significantly bigger than the WCC. So um, I imagine, just as one note, I imagine that's some more money flowing in. Yeah, uh, very much so. Um, there's some other sort of newsy stuff, and I got a tweet about it. Uh, the Mighty Bruins tweeted at us uh, saying the Ivy League has partnered with ESPN's new streaming service, ESPN Plus, which means it now has a better network than the Pac-12 network. Just brilliant. So he, he they tweeted that at us. <laughs> I like that we're the go-to authority for dumping on the Pac-12 now. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Um, if the, Yeah. I mean, we've, we've done this one to death, but that's hilarious just hilarious i mean yale's got a lot of national championships right like um so doesn't harvard have a couple from back around the probably i remember yale does i'm sure harvard does too penn maybe probably has got some you know penn penn was in a final four actually somewhat recently i was looking this up um penn made a final four in 1979 doesn't that seem really late in the game for for an Ivy league school to still be in a final four situation. Yeah. Well, they've made some runs like sweet 16 runs and stuff. And yeah, like... Harvard made a run recently. They were doing pretty well under Tommy Amaker. Um, Princeton has regularly done some, uh, nasty things, uh, once to the Bruins in 96. Yeah. The year after the national championship, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, it's just, when you see like Villanova win in two and three years and you just wonder about the Pac-12, like it's been a minute, you know, it's been a, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been a little bit of time, uh, it's a little like, man. bit of time. Um, it was, it was funny. People talk about, I, I think, I think it was Clay Travis. There people were tweeting about like overrated, like all time programs and stuff. And, uh, he was getting on Michigan for only having like one and a half national titles in the last like 50 years or something. Like when you think like they split that one um, with who did they split with? Uh, in 97. Nebraska. Was that? No, I think it was Nebraska or something. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, and they won the the basketball one with the uh, the, uh, the Fab Five. Fab Five. Yeah. Um, you know, came close this year, obviously. But for as much hype as like Michigan gets, like the, there's not a, you know, a wall full of you know, national championships in the last half century that you could kind of point to. Yeah, it's uh, true. And in the Pac-12, we just we just haven't seen a lot of national championships our way. Uh, it's, you know, Olympic sports, killing it, but not uh, so much the, the big ones that most everybody watches. Yeah. Um, well, it's, 
you know, it goes back to, um, you know, as we proved a couple weeks ago, uh, UCLA is the reason the Pac-12 sucks. We do have to, should we bring that up? Um, the, the, uh, we got an email from our buddy. Let me pull it up here. It's from Andrew. So if you remember, Andrew was the guy that would send us these eye charts, tweet us these eye charts, uh, talking about the historic performance of all 12 Pac-12 programs. Um, and it's kind of like where you should be and where you ended up being. And what was it? Was it Cal? Did he have the the most overrated ones like Cal and UCLA? Is that right? Or what was the other one? Um, well, Cal and UCLA are the two um, probably contenders for the ones that have been yeah, essentially the most disappointing okay. um, long term. Um, Cal, for it seems like the consensus is, and I'm probably too close to the situation with UCLA. <laughs> uh, the consensus is that the winner is Cal because they have been so bad relative to the recruiting, whereas UCLA has simply been mediocre relative to its recruiting, which I think is a fairly compelling argument. Um, Because, I mean, if you look at think about Cal football, it's basically been the early Tedford era and then a whole, whole long lot of nothing. Yes. Um, There were a couple of good years and then a lot of, but a lot of good players too. Cal's had a lot of good players um, and just not had the kind of results on the field. But anyway, so Andrew, my issue uh, that was an issue, just my kind of opinion I gave to Andrew was, hey, this is some some really good data, but there's nothing really explaining it. Like there's no key to these charts and there's so much good data in the charts, but there really wasn't a way to understand it. Now, Dave would point out, hey, this is a certain uh, advanced metric that many people use that, you know, all these things kind of needed to be explained um, and they weren't. So we got an email from Andrew. What if one of our longest emails we probably have gotten, and you just look not at even it. counting the attachments. Yes, I was going to say like so emails we've got. The email is significant, um, not something we could read on the air, but I think we're going to we're going to ask Andrew for permission, and and put some of the stuff up on our website on pack12podcast.com. And Dave said, "Wait, you haven't opened the attachment yet," and the attachment is 19 pages long um, with some charts. But mostly words. <laughs> 19 pages. And I want to be clear to everyone out there. It's not like 19 pages with like a few words on one page and no. a chart. It's like dense text, like dense text. Yeah. This is so but double spaced. I've, like I've, you're I've, writing a I've paper. read a good portion of it at this point. It's actually really good stuff. I recommend if we can get permission from Andrew to post this on the website or post an abbreviated version at the very least. Um, I would really recommend looking at it because it's really interesting stuff. This could be your absolute go-to resource when you're looking at, you know, when you're in an argument with some nonsense person who's telling you, oh, you know, whatever, this school's better than that school, and here's why. You can point to this and have this be the Bible for understanding exactly how, you know, the different Pac-12 programs compare. This is really, really good stuff. It, It lays out all this information about these eye charts, so... Um, we'll see if we can get permission from Andrew to post that on the website because it is extensive. Now, the problem is, though, it's from 1946 to 2016. So he's going to update these in the coming months. So he's a little off the ball. I mean, it should have been like, you know, if you're going to send this to us, make sure it includes everything. You know, like I'm a little upset at Andrew. What do you think, Dave? 
<laughs> well, no. I just love that he broke out the Terry Donahue era at UCLA and the Rick Neuheisel era at UCLA for me, um, which I, I think was that was critical. Neuheisel must have been the like some of the peak years, right? Like I, I assume uh-huh. Uh-huh. he yeah. plays the guitar. You, you nailed it. You nailed it. You, uh, you got it just right. I'm gonna look- um, but yeah, it's really good stuff. Um, <laughs> hopefully, we can get this uh, get a get a version of this in front of you peeps. Yes, um, I think it's great. I mean. Like if you were taking a class, like you could, this could be like a thesis, you know, like this could be your master's paper or some bullshit. It's incredible. Yeah, it, it truly is incredible. Um, so big thanks to Andrew for uh, sending us that detailed explanation. Um, I'm sure Ryan will never read it, but I will. I will ingest every bit of it. No, I think with the explanations there, that's my biggest issue with like the people that are into the advanced stat stuff. I think they just assume everyone knows what all these are, and like I don't know, I haven't read that stuff. Uh, but How I like are you it. the engineer and I'm the like liberal arts idiot. Uh, but but th- now that it's explained, it's not just like a like I'm just know enough to look at a chart. and like, OK, there's always some sort of explanation. There wasn't anything there. So I will dig into this, though. I will definitely read it. Um, it's 19 pages of, of goodness. And I think I mean, you can, we could create content coming off of this. You know, there's a lot of great data. Maybe maybe very well we could. But that's like expecting us to do more work. Yeah, Jeez, that's. That's a lot of expectation there. <laughs> we couldn't even fulfill the one assignment we assigned ourselves last week, which is to do a draft, which is just about the easiest possible thing we could have done with this show. And we're just like, no, we can't, cannot do it. Um, I mean, we certainly could have. Like, we, I think we both prepared enough that we could c- come up with a draft. But I think we'll we'll present. No, I mean, it in like a... in an existential way, I just could not. Yeah, you know? we'll do it. We'll present it in a better way. And uh, yeah. we do want to get ridiculed by all of you, so uh, we have to. We have to leave off, like, you know, the best player of all time in the Pac-12. Like, stuff like that. We'll do that, right. and then you can uh, make fun of us. Oregon State, Dave, started spring football today. So, I believe that's the last one. I, I'd have to go back and look at my notes, but I think that's the last one to start. Um, and they, I, if I'm not mistaken, they're the ones that wraps up, wrap it up in, like, all of April. So, like, they start today, yeah. and they're up, done by the end of April. So, we need to still get some more updates from all the different um, spring football, you know, like Colorado's already done, you know, there's seems like that, but now that they've all started, I think we can, we'll try to do some more updates maybe next week. Yep. We'll check in next week. All right. Should we get to some questions? Yeah. Do you want me to start? You want to start? What would you like? I'll, I'll read. I'll read Devin's. Okay. All right. This is from Devin. You're the recruit. Hey, Ryan and Dave, if you guys were being recruited to play football in the PAC 12 today, <laughs> Uh, which schools would young Ryan and Dave choose? One rule, you can't choose your alma maters. Love the co- love the podcast, keep up the good work, and go dogs. Ooh, okay. Um, well, of my football talents, like, I'm slow. Oh, you're looking at fit, too. I didn't even think about I would that. think about that. Yeah, like, I my, my hands are good. Like, I have pretty good... You want to use like a D&D thing? Like my dexterity is pretty good. Like I can catch pretty sure. well and do that kind of stuff. I'd have to put on some more weight. So I've, I'm a I, bigger I, fr- I, I think I think it disqualifies you to play football in the Pac-12 when you're trying to use your D&D <laughs> qualities. I had an 18 dexterity. Um, <laughs> yeah. I rolled my 12-sided <laughs> die and I ended up with really good dexterity, low intelligence and charisma. Can, exactly. Um, yeah. So like I could probably be like a – a tight end thing, just so I wouldn't be that fast. Um, I could catch pretty well. I'm six three, so I have a decent frame. So I could they probably put some weight on me or something. Where do they use tight ends? Um, Stanford, which I'm not getting in there, so I'm not doing that. 
Uh, I don't know. I might do like, okay, okay. I I'd probably pick ASU <laughs> just because if you want to go and have fun, um, maybe Washington. But yeah, it depends really what you want to do. You know, like ASU, I just think would be like probably the most fun of anything. Um, yeah. But I love LA. Like I could go cross down and go to UCLA. I don't know. Chip Kelly's probably not going to use uh, use a tight end all that much, and that would probably be where where I'd sure. fit in better. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on this? I didn't really give a good answer, but no, that was good. I, I liked it. Um, I, I get I get the uh, you know going to ASU. Um, so I, I would I would very obviously be a walk on kicker. Um, oh, I think that's obvious. I mean, I've got I've got virtually no athletic ability like i was you know a really? mediocre mediocre soccer player and a mediocre basketball player okay so i think that that lends itself best to being a walk-on kicker like somebody who knows somebody and just gets like a preferred walk-on spot <laughs> and just kind of like carries helmets and stuff so from a fit perspective i think every team has those so i think i can go wherever i want um and if i'm choosing i'm definitely going stanford um, if, uh, I, I couldn't do the Arizonas way too hot again, big wuss. Um, you could talk me into Colorado. You could a hundred percent talk me into Colorado. Um, I think my triumvirate would be Colorado, Stanford, or Washington. And I think I'd got to go, I'd have to go Stanford, then probably Washington. I love that campus. And then, uh, and then Colorado. I like it. Um, you know what the other one I think like I could probably actually do, and I talked to, I talked to a guy um, who was, uh, he, was, he played football at Tennessee. This was at a, my one of my wife's events that she went to. It was like a Tennessee grad thing that was happening in in L.A. up in like the Hollywood Hills, and his son was like a quarterback that was pretty good at like Buffalo or something, but. He went to the NFL as a long snapper. So his dad was a snapper and he basically taught him how to snap. Um, I think I could do that. I could be a long snapper, like put on a little bit of weight. And, oh, yeah, and yeah. No, I could do that. I could do I could do some long snapping. Like that, that's a real thing. Like if someone just taught you that, like you could make and you end up being pretty good. You could make a living in the NFL making like 400 grand a year just long snapping for stuff. So I think I could do that. Yeah, if I could get into Stanford, then I think that would probably be. Uh, but I like, I mean, I like LA. So probably just go to like, Either UCLA, I think Arizona State would be fun, or even Arizona. Um, I'm not big into cold, so Utah and Colorado probably wouldn't do that. You know, Seattle's really cool. Um, yeah, you know, Oregon. I'd, I'd kind of like being in a city, though. Um, so maybe- yeah, that's my problem with the Oregons is that they're both you know a good hour and a half outside of Portland. Yeah. Um, so it's just that's a little bit tougher for me. Oregon outside of Portland, not a huge fan. Not, a, I don't love it. So I uh, I don't think I Berkeley's just like too 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 weird for me I think, um, yeah I don't I I'm not a big uh not a big Berkeley area guy I like Cal but I, I, that wouldn't be in my top tier because if you're gonna go to the Bay Area go to Stanford get the uh get the the super plus education while you're at it and yeah. also be good at football so you're you're taking a shot at Cal academics there is that what I'm hearing or I was taking a shot at Cal's academics and also their quality of play on the field. <laughs> um, yeah, just I'd be kind of intrigued with the whole Stanford thing too. But yeah, all right. Um, 
interesting things there. Yeah, I think I think I'd switch from being a slow tight end to uh, a long snapper. Uh, I didn't yeah, think about I, I, well, I think I, I think if we're being honest with ourselves and with our listeners, we would both be special teamers. Yeah. <laughs> at the, <laughs> at like best. and and most likely very, very French walk on special teamers. Yes. Yes. Like I like I was on like, like at the... the peak of my athletic experience. I was probably I could probably kick a soccer ball hard enough <laughs> to at least be a credible walk on like the like fourth walk on kicker on a football team. Nice. All right. Well, hey. I like that. Hey, that's something, right? I yeah. I would never play it soccer. I mean, I've like played baseball and some basketball and, and volleyball is what I played the most of, but um yeah, I never got into the kicking sport, so I don't think uh I don't think yeah, I do the not, kicker. Not in the cards for you. Snapping? I think I could do that. Um all right. This one's from Earl in West LA. Uh this is I guess it's to you, Dave. He says, Dave. Last week, an emailer indicated Cal was an underperformer among PAC, I'm sorry, among Power 5 schools in relation to its recruiting market. You thought UCLA might be a better candidate for that designation. While I generally agree that UCLA sucks, they don't seem to suck as much as Cal. But UCLA is close, a uh, close second in my opinion. So national championships, Cal has five, uh, 1920 to 23 and 1937. Uh, UCLA has won 1954. Cal does not have a Heisman Trophy. UCLA has won from 1967. Rose Bowls. Cal last appeared in 1959. Last won in 1938. A two five and one record. UCLA last appeared in 1999. Last won in 1986 with a five and seven record. My opinion is based on the quote unquote "What have you done lately?" theory. Cal has not won a conference title since 1958. First 1998 for UCLA, Cal's uh, RBG win. What's that? Uh, Rose, Bowl Rose Bowl game. game win. Okay. I'm like, RBG? Sounds like a color scheme or something. Um, was in 1938 versus 1986 for UCLA. Cal's last major football accomplishment was 60 years ago. While <laughs> this, is, this is kind of depressing on both sides. While Cal has won five uh, national championships, it was so long ago, I don't think it matters anymore. Same with UCLA. So Dave... There's good news and bad news. The good news is Cal sucks worse than UCLA. The bad news is UCLA still sucks. I suppose the larger question is why, and I have no clue. They both have worldwide acclaim, prestige, beautiful campuses, etc. Go figure. Earl in West LA. Beautiful world. I loved every bit of it. Are you gonna have some Jack Daniels now or something? Or what's that? That was great. That was great. Um <laughs> I think you're required to buy me dinner. Um yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that was an actual question at the end, um, but both schools have made a habit of just hiring about the worst friggin' people they can possibly hire to coach their football programs, um, and uh, that's 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 a huge part of it. So, yeah. Are what? So okay, we got to find the silver lining though. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously UCLA gets Chip Kelly. There's a great chance, I think, you know, of getting back to competing for a conference title, you know, make it back to a Rose Bowl. It's been so long, you know, Dave's seen one in his lifetime, but he was barely born, right? Like it's been a long time. Yeah. I, I don't even know if I could focus on a TV at that point. That was two <laughs> months old. So I think there's, there's an obvious path to getting back for UCLA because of Chip Kelly. What do you think on the Cal side Young head coach Justin Wilcox. I like the staff he's put together. 
Uh, it's really tough in the north. Is there is there light at the end of the tunnel for Cal? Do you think? I mean, they are going ten and two this year, Ryan. That's what I heard. So I would say yes, it's going to be gangbusters. I mean, in seriousness, yeah, I, I I think so. I mean, I don't think that I don't think anyone in the north yet is such a juggernaut that it makes it like untenable that Cal couldn't compete within the next couple of years. You know, two years from now, I I don't think they're going to go from five and seven last year to ten and two this year, but they could go from five and seven to eight and four, right? Yeah. And then you're only a couple more wins the next year from getting to ten and two, and I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I think they need to, you know, massively change up their recruiting. When Tedford was doing really really well, he was recruiting at a super high level, um, and Wilcox hasn't quite done that to date, and Sonny Dyke certainly wasn't doing that before him. Um, but football, you know, these turnarounds can happen. Um, and, you know, it, if we're sitting here in 2020 still doing this podcast, God forbid. Um, just kidding. It's hey. a kidding. It was a joke. It was a oh. joke for everyone out there. Uh, if we're still doing this podcast in 2020 and we're talking about Cal actually being a contender in the Pac-12, I'm not going to be surprised. Yeah. Um, I think that's I think that's on the on the possibility list for sure. You hurt my feelings there, Dave. I know. <laughs> No, that was the intention. Damn it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, but basically the reason both these schools have been um, rough for a while is bad hires. And it seems like UCLA's figured it out. I'm, I, I think Wilcox is going to be good. I think he was pretty good last year. I think Cal was a few bounces away from being seven and five and not five and seven. So, um, you know, Cal might have a good one there too. It's, you know, you can't know for sure yet, but um, hopefully things are looking up for the Bears. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think this is a great opportunity to take a step forward, even to get to make a bowl game this year. I think that's good progress. Um, and then then it's like about taking that next step. You have to get to the step where you're making a bowl game and you're beating a team or two that no one expected. Um, they did that last year out of conference, um, which was great. You know, kind of make your mark and then, you know, sort of falter a little bit. But I think you can take that next step, and then it's another one. So after that, it's like you're showing recruits, hey, here's what we're putting together, and you start signing some dudes that you might take away, maybe a guy that wants to go to UCLA or USC or Washington or something, and he right. goes to Cal, you know, those kind of things. Um, and, you know, it's there's multiple steps to get there, but I think they're at least on the right path. So there's, there's some – there's potential, I think. Yeah, for sure. All right, we got um, a response about the latest podcast from Samuel. Okay. Fellas, you were unsure about the pronunciation slash meaning of the French term nom de guerre in that relatively long email. FYI. So, all right. Um, he, sa- he, he basically gives us the dictionary pronunciation guide for um, that word nom de guerre. So can I, can I divulge something here? Sure. I have a harder time reading the pronunciation explainers for these things than I do the word. Like, I don't know what all of these weird marks mean. I've never understood it. I don't care. Why is the E upside down and backwards? I don't know. Why is there what looks like an umlau over the A? Why is there an apostrophe just in the middle of day and ger? I don't get it. I'm just going to say the same thing I said the first time. Um, nom de guerre and hope for the best, but I, I have never understood dictionary pronunciation marks. I never will. You can send me all of the emails you would like. I will never understand them. 
I, yeah, I'm in the same. <laughs> anyway, the definition <laughs> is an assumed name under which a person engages in combat or some other activity or enterprise for everyone out there who didn't know the meaning. I think we both knew the meaning. I just, I, I cannot understand how to pronounce anything. And I just had heard it. And like when, I think you said something else, nom de guerre, or you said something. And I said, I think it's nom de guerre, but I don't like, I took a, a couple years of French, certainly not my strength. And that was many, many moons ago. Um, but yes, uh, I think we knew yeah. what it would meant, but it's like it's not something you, you might, I, yeah, I wouldn't say it. You've heard it being been said. Uh, it's certainly not something you normally read, so that was kind of weird. But but thanks for that. I think he put a an audio clip in there too, but um, I don't know if that'll work. Wow, I didn't even get that. Oh, uh, is that what that is? Is that? Let me let me see if I'll try to play it and see if when I uh, click on it, nothing happens. Yeah, mine too. So maybe it didn't quite work. Wow. All right. Yeah, it was. It looks like a broken link, but when I click on it, or when I look at it, it says listen, but it doesn't really work. We appreciate you, Samuel. Thank you for sending that in. Thanks for uh, sending that. All right. What do you, what, what do we want to do about this next one? All right. So our man Hifliday sent us a very long email. Um, yeah. So it's basically laying out the um, TV revenue dilemma. So he's got um, seven points here. Um, you know, I'm just going to read them. I'm going to read them. You're going to enjoy them. Let's go through them. Okay. All right. So here's basically his understanding, and he wants to see if if we kind of understand it the same way with regard to the TV revenue dilemma. So point one, and we'll say whether we agree or disagree, and if that's our understanding. The school CEOs, the presidents and chancellors of Pac-12 schools, have instructed the commissioner to maximize revenues at the expense of everything else. Things like obnoxious kickoff times are part of the TV contracts under this mandate. The Pac-12 gets more money by surrendering scheduling flexibility. I would not agree with that. Um, I don't think the instruction was get maximum revenues because they're certainly not doing that. But I think in the effort to get as you know high revenue as possible, and initially he wanted to get that $2 billion deal, the biggest deal at, of its time, there was a lot of concessions that went into that. And I think the TV times are part of it. The Also, the 12-year... Um, you know, length of the contract and having uh, two rivals work together uh, with ESPN and Fox. Um, I think all of that kind of went into it. I think, I think Larry Scott wanted to make a big splash and to do that, you kind of feel like he sold his soul along the way. And now you're now the PAC 12 is, is far, so far behind, but at the time it looked really good. So I think it was more of about him making a big splash. Don't think it's really instructed by the presidents that they said, go get the maximum revenue. That, that would be my take, but what do you think? Yeah, and I don't know how specific um, the mandate was. Um, I think they trusted a lot of what Larry Scott was selling, and they trusted that this was the way he was going to do it, and it's just not quite working out. Yeah. Um, number two, the providers which do carry the Pac-12 network have standard most favorable nation clauses, meaning they all get to pay the same rate. So when DirecTV made their lowball offer, accepting it would mean lowering the rate for all the other providers, which would add up to less revenue overall, even with more eyeballs. This would contradict, contradict the maximized revenues order, so Larry Scott did as instructed and rejected it. I think that's mostly true, where the, there is that kind of most favored nation sort of thing. I don't think, I don't think Larry Scott has the ability to sign DirecTV to a lower rate because of the the guys that you know the 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 players that are already signed i don't know exactly if 
if he signed DirecTV for a lower rate, that lowers the rate with the other guys, or if he's just not allowed to sign. There's something along those lines, I, I, but I believe that's true, yes. Yeah, and I don't know how – I'd have to go back and look at the timing. Um, Wilner's a much better expert on all this stuff, but I don't know. It seems like it would have made sense to start with DirecTV, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, uh, three, the conference can't negotiate a better deal because it has no leverage. No one on the East Coast is clamoring for bad Pac-12 games. And when they were asked, West Coast fans collectively balked at ditching DirecTV and NFL Sunday ticket to get their local college football. Mostly I, true, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think if you look at – if you remember when the SEC Network launched, they made sure there was a football game from all 14 teams – on in the first month on the SEC network. So if someone wasn't going to carry it, they were going to hear from every single team in the conference. I mean, and certainly there's much stronger fan bases there as far as, you know, following it. But I think they came about and did it the right way. I don't think Larry Scott had that. I think they could have had some leverage early on. And like Dave said, you want to get DirecTV on board first, not like, well, they'll come around because they've never come around. So I think the strategy was poor. Um, you don't have the same kind of nationwide fans clamoring for it, but I think there's you could have used some of the other assets of the conference there too. I think now you you've backed yourself in a corner and no one is, you know, begging for it. So uh there's a lot of people who'd like to see it, but it's not like they're gonna change their lives to just get the Pac twelve network. So I, I think it was the initial strategy was poor and now it's just getting worse. That makes sense. Uh, four, TV pro- TV providers like cable and satellite companies only sell full packages, even at their basic level, which includes about, let's say, 80% of channels that any given consumer doesn't ever watch. So right now, networks are being paid about five times what they'd be worth on the open market compared to the so-called a la carte approach where people could pick and choose what channel they want. That's true. I mean, I think we're just stating facts now. Right? Yeah, I would think that's true. And I think you know, a lot of the argument ends up being like, you know, hey, ESPN2 should be basic cable or versus, you know, or is right. it on the sports kind of thing? And um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the Pac-12 would usually be in the super special sports tier. It's in the sports package. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I know out here in Georgia, I had to get like an extra like $10 add-on to my AT&T U-verse service. I'm out here in Bumfuck Marietta, Georgia, <laughs> and I am getting AT&T U-verse instead of DirecTV just so I can watch these garbage football games. <laughs> um, nice. Anyway. Yeah, so I think that's true. Uh, five, the writing is on the wall. There will either be a critical mass of cord cutters sick of overpaying for TV or legislation mandating a la carte. So sooner or later, that market model will collapse and suddenly networks like ESPN will see a vast sum of money disappear yeah i mean i don't think anyone knows exactly how it's going to go down but it's certainly and i don't it's it's coming to a head yeah one way or another i don't understand like you know i don't watch a lot on my phone i don't i still like just flipping through the channels you know and there's so many people i know that watch youtube or watch they just want to watch exactly what they want and i was never even a guy growing up so i'm not the best i didn't like always want to buy albums and listen to the whole thing. I'd rather listen to the radio and just hear the hits. You know, like I was just, that's just never been my personality. So I'm never going to be like a millennial now, but the way more people are consuming their entertainment like that, it's they're watching exactly what they want to watch with no commercials and any of that stuff. So 
Uh, I'm not the best example of that, but it seems like, like Dave said, it's coming to a head. There's just more and more and more people that just don't give a crap about, I'm going to turn on CNN and watch what's going on in the news. They just don't do it. Uh, six, streaming options would accelerate this, so providers insist on contract language banning streaming-only services. As Ryan noted last week, the Pac-12 is contractually prohibited from offering a standalone streaming option as long as it's dependent on TV providers for revenue. Yeah, so people are like, oh, why can't I just, you know, you can you can get the, the app and watch the Pac-12, but you have to be paying for it somewhere else. You have to have a service. They're not, they can't sell it to you. Now, maybe after the, you know, in six years, there'll be that option, but for now, they can't do that. Seven. Finally, this is what people refer to as, quote, Larry Scott's gamble. He's betting that the other power conferences, having outsourced their networks to outside corporations, are living in a house of cards and that the huge contracts they're getting aren't sustainable and they'll be left holding the bag, while the Pac-12 will have total ownership and a free hand to proceed. The operating theory is short-term pain for long-term gain. Yeah, I just and I I don't know what your thoughts today, but I just don't feel like like the, you mentioned in one of the other points, it's not um, people aren't clamoring for this network. So if ESPN had to like sell off the SEC network, it's already huge, and I think it'd be worth way more than what the Pac-12 is. You know, so yes, having total ownership is 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 fine. Um, I mean, I guess well, I don't think it's fine because you're not doing enough with it, but. The SEC network is just leaps and bounds ahead, and if you know they wanted to buy it back from ESPN, it's just worth a lot more now than I think what the Pac-12 network would be. I'm just not sure the Pac-12 is going to be suited perfectly if cable television collapses. You know, I think that I, I don't know. I just don't feel like they, they. Yeah, they can sell their own rights, but if the SEC network sold its own rights, they would make more money than the Pac-12 anyway. Yeah, it still feels a little underpants gnome to me, right? The the old, I think it's the South Park thing. Yes. That one episode where it's, you know, first we steal underpants. That's step one. And then step two. And then step three is profit. But the the missing link. So, yeah, you have total ownership over your network that's not really worth anything. That's cool. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, good for you. Meanwhile, the SEC is going to make a ton more money right now. And they'll probably make a ton more money once cable collapses anyway, too. I would think, and like, what is the 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 positive that Larry Scott says is the all of the live sporting events? But as John Wilner has pointed out, like they just don't get viewership. So, well, that's the, and it's just, I mean, it's it's. I I think our issue isn't necessarily. I don't know. I don't know enough about the contract negotiations or the overall strategic plan, but the actual design of the network itself is just so fundamentally and seemingly fatally flawed from the jump the seven networks or whatever and playing all these Olympic sports all the time. Like nobody cares. Nobody's going to watch that. Um, and nobody is watching it. And so a network that's built around that is going to just not have a ton of value. And the media, the media like uh, contracts they've negotiated, make it so that the PAC 12 gets like the fourth tier games every weekend. Um, and that's just not going to really move the needle either in terms of viewership. Um, so I, I just don't know that they've done. I, I think we're ascribing a lot of strategy to something that's kind of been thrown together over time. I think their initial strategy was just to be one of the big boys and get on DirecTV and do it in a slightly different way where the, the league had ownership so they could keep playing their Olympic sports stuff. But um, I, I, 
their intention going in was to just be another one of the big boys making a big mo- amount of money off the cable thing. I don't think there was some grand plan back in 2010 <laughs> that they were all suddenly going to, okay, so we're just going to anticipate cord cutting is going to massively, massively accelerate over the next eight years. And then we're going to be poised for, you know, to reap a whirlwind in you know 2020 or whatever it is. I don't, I, I, no one is that good at their job. No one is, and certainly not Larry Scott. He's not projecting that far ahead and making those kind of anticipatory futurist moves based off of stuff that he couldn't have even speculated was going to happen. Um, so I, I think they've got a new ration, you know, a, a new rationalization for how they want this to go, and it might work out. But I don't think it was any part of some grand plan. No, I agree, and I'm curious if distribution went better. So a few better decisions were made by Larry Scott and the network and distribution was on par with some of the other um, conferences, like where the PAC 12 network would be like, how much did that stunt its growth, not being able to ever get on direct TV and some of the other uh, outlets? Like I be, so before cord cutting became a thing, if distribution was pretty good, at least getting like the main network, um, so you could see it across the country if you had DirecTV and di- you know things like that. Um, I'm wondering how much it stunted the growth overall. I kind of think it did. I think it did a lot where you make a couple better decisions early. Then, yeah, it's not the SEC network. It's not the Big Big Ten network, but it's it's up there. You know, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, and, you know, there's there's a few different things that, like, I just don't think they were particularly innovative with their programming. Um, there were a couple of cool things. I thought their initial studio show was really good with Neuheisel. Um, I thought he was a really good uh, voice. I think their 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 on air talent isn't bad. Like I think the people who are in studio and who do their stuff are pretty good, but um, they they should have been way more innovative with what they do. Like those football and sixties are so great, and just do more and more football content. Like just as much football content as you can muster, and they just never really have done that. Um, and maybe that's something that changes going forward, but I, I just, they need to embrace the things that actually, that people actually care about a little bit more. Yeah. Should we move on to Anthony's question? Let's do it. He said, so it's pretty generic podcast question. Okay. Well, we got you. Well, we're a podcast and we answer questions. <laughs> Let's do this. Hi, Ryan and Dave. Ryan, how do you view the legacy of Dan Guerrero from a USC point of view? Um, okay. I'll, I'll give my thoughts and Dave can correct me. I would not say I'm some sort of expert in the subject. Um, really from a higher level point of view, I would say he's a guy, you know, it's one of those guys who's been around doing his thing. I wouldn't say the most innovative person in the world. Um, he's not going to be like this high risk taker who's going out. I think there's been some, some great hires that, you know, being able to win a baseball national championship. Uh, I think that's important. Certainly, some misses on the on the gridiron and uh, and in basketball, yeah. And and the Chip Kelly thing, I'm not sure if that was more booster driven than anything else. That would be the Definitely. yeah. So that would be like the best thing he's done. But it seems like just a guy that's like he's a dude. You know, he's a guy that's there. Uh, is not going to be pushing the envelope. He's not going to take a whole lot of risks and just kind of floating along. You know, doing his thing. Been some really good things. Been some bad things. But just kind of like a guy. It's, that would be my take. Yeah, I don't I, I, I don't think he's um, all right. So I'm, I'm going to get back into my charitable mindset for this one, because okay. I think there are some things that Dan Guerrero is very good at. I think he's good at 
um, fundraising. I think he's done a really good job for UCLA there. And I think he's really, really good at crisis management. Um, UCLA handled the, just as one example, the, the China incident this year, UCLA handled that perfectly. Like from a PR standpoint, from everything, it was done perfectly. And I think a ton of the credit for that goes to Dan Guerrero. He's great in that sort of situation. He's great at mitigating risk. He's great at like all these kind of corporate administrative duties that um, are a big part of running an athletic department, but not the biggest part. The biggest part is hiring football and basketball coaches. And at best, at best, in the most charitable read, it's been a mixed bag. Um, but I think he's he's been overall um, uh, a below average. Um, he waited too long to fire Ben Howland. Um, he's now, you know, probably going too long with Steve Alford, who has lost such a huge percentage of the fan base and um, obviously isn't going really anywhere with with his teams at UCLA um he waited probably too long um I mean it was a t- it would have been tough to fire Carl Durrell would have been tough to fire Rick Neuheisel after three years but both of those guys um didn't end their careers particularly well uh, but hiring each of those guys in the first place was was obviously not great hiring Steve Alford in the first place was obviously not great so um he he has a I think he falls and I think this kind of speaks to what maybe your point is, which is he does tend to kind of float along. I think he's, I I think he would rather not rock the boat once he's hired a guy. And I think at this point in his career, he'd really rather not because he's, you know, relatively close to retirement. Um, He's in his mid sixties. I don't think he's gonna, I don't think he's planning on sticking around in that role past 2020. I can't remember the exact date. I think it might be even next year. Um, But um, I don't think he's planning on sticking around for very long, uh, but uh, so I don't think he's like super motivated to make a change. I think what happened with Chip Kelly is, you know, essentially it was delivered by a combination of boosters and um, uh, associate AD uh, Josh Rebholtz. Um, and so it was something that was easy to do, essentially. Um, but I don't think he's going to be particularly motivated to fire a Steve Alford, for example. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, from a USC perspective, I'm, from a USC fan perspective, I imagine they're pretty happy with Dan Guerrero overall. <laughs> I think they probably think his performance has been excellent. Yeah, I mean, he's, I don't know, he's been a guy, but... Yeah, he's been um, fine. But yeah, I think you good points, too, on the fundraising stuff, you know, being able to get some of those bigger projects done. Uh, yeah, and I don't and I don't want to knock him for that, because he got Poly Pavilion renovated, uh, he got the football facility built, he got a basketball training facility built. That That's all been done under his watch. Yeah. Um, he's raised a bunch of money. He's hired some pretty good people under him who've helped him raise a bunch of money. Um, it's just those pesky coach hirings and firings have been a little bit trickier. And then his second part was, which freshman or transfer are you most excited to see for spring football? Thank you from Anthony. So I don't know if that's, I guess, for each one of us maybe. or uh, God, I don't know. Um, Like, well, I don't really, I'm not like, obviously not across the league or I'm going to just say with the team you cover. Um, okay. So let's do that. Like, yeah, it's hard to say that we'll try to get updates from some of the other publishers. Um, I think on the USC side, like people want to see JT Daniels, especially because the two quarterbacks, the two scholarship quarterbacks in spring right now have been underwhelming at best. So they want to see the reclassified JT Daniels. out. This is for spring ball, spring ball. As he said, spring ball. Yeah. Crap. Um, all right, well, not him. Uh, 
the, the, but I'm sure that 17 year old quarterback is going to just jump right in and, and, and take that starting job right when he comes in. He's, uh, he's going to have to, I think at this point. Um, okay. So <laughs> guys I've seen that I, like, I really am a fan of Talanoa Hufunga, who's Islet Corvallis, Oregon. He's a five-star athlete. I think mostly played like linebacker and stuff, but he's going to play safety at USC. Uh, saw him at the, Polynesian Bowl in Hawaii and uh, just a really sharp kid. He, he, he wants to do communications and be like a, you know, in sports like what we do. So uh, really bright kid. I like him a lot. Um, and there was another uh, Kanai Munga uh, from Hawaii, uh, outside linebacker that I thought has been really impressive of the of the new guys I've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, my guy would be um, the guys coming in this spring who've been in this spring. I would probably it was going to be KJ Carter Samuels, but we will um, <laughs> unless I was suddenly covering Colorado State, that would not be a thing that was happening. So uh, Chase Coda, um, see the the long and lanky freshman receiver, uh, see what he can do. Um, UCLA is at a deficit um, at receiver this year with uh, Jordan Lasley and Darren Andrews both uh, moving on. So um, it's Theo Howard as a somewhat known quantity and then not a whole lot else. So Chase Coda has the ability to, I think, potentially take that number two receiver spot if he shows up really well. And, you know, early reports are that he looked pretty good in his first practice. So um, we'll see how he goes, how he does over the final eight practices of spring. Yeah. He, I liked every time I saw Coda, um, USC didn't really recruit him very hard for whatever reason, but he always looked really good when I saw him. So he'll be one of those fun guys to watch. Remember, like, Trent Irwin? Like, I always liked watching oh, yeah. him and, you know, him going to Stanford and stuff. You just like long-haired white guys. Okay. <laughs> That's your thing. It's okay. Dude, Trent Irwin never, like, the ball never hit the ground. Like, you just threw it near him, and he, he would catch, like, every ball. That guy had the craziest hands I've ever seen. Yeah. Just, uh, and it, and it, the catch radius was incredible, too. Like, he would, he would just spear balls out of the air. Like, just fling his hands at it, and if even it hit the fingertips, he was catching it. Yeah, I like those, and I always like uh, the undersized running backs that are, like, never going to go anywhere good, but, like, at seven-on-seven, they just crush, destroy people. Like, they're always open, and they just can do everything. I love watching those guys. Yeah, me too. Um, Just if you're in the seven-on-seven circuit. It gets a little boring sometimes, so you want to see some excitement. So you get that little scat back guy. I mean, literally, there's been some dudes that have been, like, 5'5", you know, but they are, like, crazy good in – in seven on seven football, at least. Yep. I think that's it, huh? I think that's it. I think we're done. Yeah. Whoa. Early show. I've just, it's been a kind of a packed day. I apologize. We're doing it on a Wednesday, but um, yeah. So, but I think it was good. I think we got a lot of good information there. We had to get the Herm stuff, answer yeah. a lot of the questions. We'll figure out a time to do our draft offline and then we'll put it up on pack12podcast.com. Um, if you, you know, if you want to tweet us, like, Hey, here's a guy you should probably consider Utah's best defensive lineman. Utah and Colorado, I think, are the biggest challenges, right? Because they weren't in the Pac-12 most of that time. Yeah, that that would probably be the most difficult for me. But Colorado, you'd probably just want to go back to the early 2000s anyway. Yeah. Because those were the last really good teams for Colorado. And Utah, I mean, it's going to be hard to get past, like, Alex Smith. Um, I mean... Would Alex Smith start on an all Pac-12 team? Probably not. I don't know. That's going to be tricky because those teams, their 
best players, I don't know if they're necessarily the top guys. So you'd have to kind of go into the bench for those teams. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then there's certain guys. They have their like fourth best Utah player will be on your team. And I, I don't know who that is off the top of my head. And there's guys that you know, like their NFL career, but then I, I'm like, well, were they really that good in college? I don't remember them as much as I do as a pro. So there's a lot of that too. Yep. But if we're being so. judged, like, so you have to think about who's judging us. Um, you know, if, if you have a, a bunch of guys that people have heard of, even if they weren't as good in college, but they are like had, you know, Hall of Fame careers in the NFL. Oh, so you're getting all cynical about it. See, I'm going to do this for love of the game. I'm going to make the best possible team. I want to win. You know, it's going to have some gritty, just hard-nosed players on it. Maybe not the best, but they fit together as a unit. Nice. And you'll be their walk-on kicker. That's damn right. I like it. Awesome. Okay. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up. Uh, That's David Woods over there in Atlanta. Um, I'm Ryan Abraham here in Redondo Beach. Together, we're the Podcast of Champions, and we hope you enjoyed our latest episode. We'll be back next week with another one, hopefully some spring football updates, maybe a special guest, and we will talk to you next time.